Chapter 10 of Twelve Good Musicians from John Bull to Henry Purcell. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Twelve Good Musicians from John Bull to Henry Purcell by Frederick Bridge. Pelham Humphrey, 1647 to 1674. We have all heard of single speech Hamilton, a member of Parliament who, it is said, made a single speech and by it achieved lasting fame. As matter of history, Hamilton made other speeches, but it was by the first that he earned his well-known cognomen. And we have a somewhat similar example in connection with a celebrated musician, John Jenkins, born in 1592 he lived until 1678 and wrote as north expresses it horseloads of music he was most prolific and most celebrated and yet until a few years ago when i revived many of his compositions dialogues fancy for strings and latin motets not a note of his music was heard anywhere save one little piece but this was sung in every school where vocal music was taught it is the charming little round a boat a boat haste to the ferry the subject of our present consideration is another example of the same fate pelham humphrey composer of the grand chant is about all people know of him this so-called grand chant is known and sung in every protestant church in the world humphrey is however a worthy member of the band of musicians whose work i am following and we'll see what else he did besides writing the grand chant born in sixteen forty seven he is said to have been a nephew of colonel john humphrey bradshaw's sword-bearer from the arms which were on his tomb we can learn a little of his family and forebears these arms i regret to say have long since been obliterated in fact they had gone in sir john hawkins time together with the epitaph and at the present time the exact position of the grave can only be a matter of conjecture but what was on it has been preserved to us in a valuable old work keeps monumenta west monasteriensia 1682 in this work a description is given of the armorial bearings and by them we can trace him to an old northamptonshire stock the family is mentioned as being settled in the country in the visitation of northampton of fifteen sixty four but had disappeared from it before the next visitation some years later we know nothing of pelham humphrey's life until sixteen sixty the year of the restoration when we find him at the age of thirteen entered as one of the first set of children of the reconstructed chapel royal choir under henry cook generally known as captain cook who having fought in the civil war obtained his captain's commission as early in the struggle of sixteen forty two and retained his military title for the rest of his life while at the chapel royal humphrey displayed signs of that precocity which so often shows itself in the musical genius he began composition while yet a boy and in sixteen sixty four we find the words of no fewer than five of his anthems published in clifford's divine services and anthems a reference to one of these anthems is in the diary of samuel pepys 
which contains by the way several interesting references to humphrey's career under date november twenty second sixteen sixty three we find at chapel i had room in the privy seal pew with other gentlemen and there heard dr lillygrew preach the anthem was good after sermon being the fifty-first psalm made for five voices by one of captain cook's boys pretty boy and they say there are four or five of them that can do as much and here i first perceived that the king is a little musical and kept good time with his hand all along the anthem now that anthem was written by a choir boy in the royal chapel but it is a remarkable fact as pepys says that he was not the only boy composer in the same choir and at the same time captain cook appears to have been rarely fortunate in having in his newly formed choral body a set of phenomenally gifted boys and doubtless no small credit is due to the loyal and gallant musician for the skill and care he must have devoted to their training captain cook must have been a clever teacher and a still cleverer selector of boys for his choir in this brilliant little school he gathered round him including such names as humphrey blow and purcell shines out like a beacon light in our musical world a curious and interesting fact bearing upon this came to my knowledge quite lately a thesis for a doctor's degree in the university of paris in nineteen twelve was on the subject of captain cook's choir boys and it was a clever yet concise account of the work done by these three pupils of cook humphrey blow and purcell english music seems to be looking up when we find a period of our musical history and three of our past great musicians taken as the subject for a thesis in a foreign university the same year that witnessed the production of this anthem was an all-important one not only for humphrey but also for english art on leaving the royal choir charles the second sent him abroad to continue his musical studies the cost of the trip was paid out of the secret service fund and was expended in the following way sixteen sixty four to defray the charge of his journey into france and italy two hundred pounds in the following two years also he was granted one hundred pounds and one hundred and fifty pounds respectively most of the time humphrey spent abroad was passed in paris with j b lully an italian by birth but a frenchman by adoption the most celebrated dramatic musical composer of his day he wrote many operas in the most varied styles both grave and gay was the composer of a good deal of sacred music was also a reformer in opera writing he introduced the accompanying recitative in place of the italian recitative seco making many changes in the ballets of still more importance was his development of the overture by which service he cannot be too highly valued it is very probable that the instruction given by lully to humphrey was less by precept than by example the pupil learned with eager ears to his master's music and doubtless often took part in the performance of it under this influence the influence of the greatest master of dramatic music of his time it is not surprising that the already precocious genius of the young englishman quickened and that he returned to his native country with a different conception of his art 
another world had been opened up to him whose earliest instruction had necessarily been chiefly confined to the ecclesiastical side of it before his return to england he had been appointed a gentleman of the chapel royal in the place of one thomas hazard january sixteen sixty seven and he was duly sworn in the october following a glance at pepys diary under dates november first and fifteenth sixteen sixty seven gives us that shrewd observer's opinion of our hero as he appears fresh from his continental trip november first sixteen sixty seven to chapel and heard a fine anthem made by pelham who has come over the entry however of a fortnight later is of more interest as apparently being mr pepys first personal encounter with him since his return november fifteenth sixteen sixty seven home and there i find as i expected mr caesar and little pelham humphrey lately returned from france and is an absolute monsieur as full of form and confidence and vanity and disparages everything and everybody's skill but his own but to hear how he laughs at all the king's music here as grave and others that they cannot keep time nor tune nor understand anything and that grebus the frenchman the king's master of the music how he understands nothing nor can play on any instrument and so cannot compose and that he will give him a lift out of his place and that he and the king are mighty great i had a good dinner for them a venison pasty and some fowl and after dinner we did play he on the the orbo mr caesar on the french flute and i on the viol but made but mean music nor do i see that this frenchman do so much wonders on the theorbo but without question he is a good musician but his vanity do offend me gravis or rather grebu was the king's master of the music he displaced bannister who was dismissed according to the historians because he championed english violinists and said he preferred them to frenchmen he may have said this but the real cause of his dismissal was that he kept back the money which he ought to have paid to the private band king charles has often been blamed for dismissing bannister on account of his patriotic sentiments and defence of english players but this charge is not true returning to mr pepys for a record of his day's doings november sixteenth sixteen sixty seven we find a very interesting reference to humphrey and a somewhat scathing criticism from the diarist sixteen sixty seven november sixteenth to whitehall where there is to be a performance of music of pelham's before the king the company not come but i did go into the music-room where captain cook and many others and here I did hear the best and the smallest organ go that ever I saw in my life, and such as one as by the grace of God I will have the next year, if I continue in this condition, whatever it cost me. Mr. Pepys then records a short walk and talk with Mr. Gregory, returning to Whitehall, and there got into the theatre room, and there heard both the vocal and instrumental music, where the little fellow, Pelham Humphrey, stood keeping time but for my part i see no great matter but quite the contrary in both sorts of music the composition i believe is very good but no more of delightfulness to the ear or understanding 
but what is very ordinary in addition to being a composer humphrey was an accomplished lutenist and in the state papers for the year sixteen sixty eight under date january twentieth we find a promotion of his in the royal service the record runs as follows january twentieth sixteen sixty eight warrant to pay pelham humphreys music in ordinary on the lute in place of nicholas sawyer deceased forty pounds yearly and sixteen pounds two shillings sixpence for livery on may twenty ninth of the same year mr peeps again refers to him may twenty ninth sixteen sixty eight home whither by agreement by and by comes mercer and gayhead and two gentlemen with them mr monteith and pelham the former a swaggering young handsome gentleman the latter a sober citizen merchant both sing and the latter with great skill the other no skill but a good voice and a good bass but used to tavern tunes and so i spent all this evening till eleven at night singing with them till i was tired of them because of the swaggering fellow though the girl mercer did mightily commend him before me footnote i cannot help thinking peeps met pelham as the swaggering young handsome gentleman and monteith as the sober citizen merchant and a footnote later in the year july another reference is made in the diary july eleventh sixteen sixty eight so home it being almost night mr peeps had been at an espinette at deptford and there find in the garden pelling who hath brought tempest wallington and pelham to sing and there had most excellent music late in the dark with great pleasure humphrey's sacred music is a clear evidence of his french experience he puts symphonies for strings and is dramatic at times and often somewhat light an anthem of praise the lord is a good example of the latter tendency there are two short bass solos one to the word sing praises lustily which is almost like the song of a jovial sailor it is in triple time and is the sort of thing king charles would certainly have beaten time to with his hand all along the anthem in peeps words the bass solo in the anthem he wrote when a boy and before his french training is in a quite different style and might have been written by any of our good cathedral writers such as locke or blow or even Purcell. In addition to his sacred works, Humphrey wrote three odes and many songs. These latter fall under the critical notice of Dr. Burney, who refers to them, I think, rather unfairly and harshly. Speaking of a collection called Choice Songs and Airs, Burney says, Among these songs, to the number of near fifty, there is not one air that is either ingenious, graceful, cheerful, or solemn an insipid languor or vulgar pertness pervades the whole from pelham humphrey whose church music is so excellent i own i expect it to find originality or merit of some kind or other but his songs are quite on the level with the rest burney's remarks are not only spiteful but untrue to mention only one song humphrey's setting of where the bee sucks which he wrote for dryden and devenant's altered version of the tempest the oldest setting but one which we possess is charming both as regards melody and harmony the first part is in the minor key for which humphrey seems like purcell to have a weakness there is an effective change to the tonic major at merrily merrily shall i live now 
with a most striking and delicious drop of a seventh i expect bernie regarded this as a crudity to me the song seems one of the best of the time humphrey went on adding to his honors on january twenty fourth sixteen seventy two he was elected one of the wardens of the corporation for regulating the art and science of music and in july of the same year his old master captain cook died his death being accelerated so antony wood tells us by chagrin at finding himself getting supplanted by his old pupil this i do not believe cook would have had a soul above such foibles and had too many successful pupils to be jealous of poor little humphrey however this may be humphrey succeeded him as master of the children of the chapel royal and later jointly with thomas purcell he was appointed composer in ordinary for the violins to his majesty it was in this year sixteen seventy two that he wrote a charming little song called wherever i am and whatever i do it was written for dryden's conquest of granada produced in that year nothing of any importance is chronicled of him for the last two years of his all too short life he died at windsor on july thirteenth sixteen seventy four and was buried in the cloisters of westminster abbey near the southeast door his last will and testament witnessed by his old schoolfellow dr blow is interesting april v twenty third seventy four be it known to all people whomsoever it may concern that i leave my dear wife my sole executress and mistress of all i have in the world after those few debts i owe are paid i only desire that three legacies may be given that is to say to my cousin betty jelfry to mr blow and to bessie gill each of them twenty shillings to buy them rings pelham humphrey thirty july sixteen seventy four which day appeared personally john blow of westminster made oath that he was present when mr pelham humphrey wrote the above written writing containing his last will and testament and he the said mr pelham humphrey being of perfect mind and sound memory published and declared the same for his last will and testament john blow thirty july seventy four proved thirty july sixteen seventy four by catherine humphrey relict and sole executress humphrey's life brief though it was must be regarded as a turning point in our art's history not alone by his own compositions but by the infusion of his influence into the greater purcell he was not only purcell's master at the chapel royal but actually composed an anthem jointly with purcell called by the waters of babylon in boyce's opinion he was the first of our ecclesiastical composers who had the least idea of musical pathos and expression of the words but this is an exaggeration this great advance in our music was carried on by the immortal purcell who as a choir-boy under humphrey was no doubt an eager listener to the new effects which his master introduced the pupil is so great one is in danger of forgetting the master at least here we have endeavoured to do some justice to the short-lived genius pelham humphrey End of chapter 10